Well, today's a marvelous day, and today we celebrate our freedom as a country, and it's no small thing. And I know a lot of us take it for granted, and I know that patriotism is, for, for some has become a little uh, out of date and hokey, but really I think, I think that's a mistake. I really do. I think it's a mistake. Uh, it's one thing to, have, to make your country an idol, and it's one thing to have patriotic idolatry, and that certainly does exist. Uh, but it's, it's another thing to understand that God orders our lives and understand the blessing of God, uh, the blessing of God in being in a, in, a, in a great civilization who has survived so much and where we have we have tremendous amount of liberty. And there's just not, not really anything. I suppose, you know, there's, these, uh, there's new hate speech laws that... Uh, I guess you can get over into and in trouble today that didn't exist a few years ago. But even with that, there's not really many things that I can think of, or I don't know if there's anything I can think of unless it was to incite violence, and, and that's, that should be against the law, uh, that I couldn't preach today and know that I had the freedom. It may be stupid to do it, and I'm trying not to be stupid, uh, really work at that, and uh, uh, not saying something totally stupid. It might be stupid. It might alienate you, and you might say, "I'm not going back to that church," but I wouldn't be arrested. And that's really—I don't think we realize what a beautiful thing that is, and how important that is, and how that—that that doesn't exist in so many. I don't know if most or at least so many parts of the world today. You can't get up and say what you think if it doesn't align with the, what the government's saying or what the authorities are saying. You can't get up and say what you think. So the next time somebody says something that you disagree with and you don't like and you wish they wouldn't say that, pause before you get mad and before you go back at them and think, you know, it's wonderful living in a country where they can say something that stupid. <laughs> you know? Really, it's, it's a wonderful, it's, it is really a marvelous thing. We need, we need to hold on to that and let's be careful in our attempts to be sensitive, which we should be sensitive, and we should work at that too. That's the other side of that. Let's, let's be careful in our attempts to be sensitive to all people that we don't lose uh, the freedom. It's not just freedom of speech. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the freedom of truth. And, and truth being maybe what my opinion is. It's what I really feel. So it may not be ultimate truth, but it's truth. So let's get into the Word of God today. John 8, 31, and I want to talk to you today about uh, the liberator and uh, the, the only one who can give us ultimate freedom. John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, that's a very important sentence there, we're going to get back to it later. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what? I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. 
a man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now I want to talk to you about freedom and the ultimate liberator of humanity, who really understood, Jesus really understood, if you want a definition of freedom, he really understood and embodied the word. Now the word freedom, of course, has a lot of flexibility. It has a lot of variations. It's kind of like the word love. It kind of has as many variations as the word love. Janis Joplin saying all those years ago, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. So that was her definition of freedom, or Chris Christopherson, who wrote that song. Crystal Carpenter uh, wrote in a poem called Freedom. I'm going to give you just a segment of that poem. All I want is freedom. Is that too much to ask? All I want is freedom to forget everything in my past. All I want is freedom to take away all the tears and pain. All I want is freedom to never feel that way again. I think a lot of us relate to that idea of freedom. We come even to church. And part of the reason we come to church is because we have pain and we have stress in our lives. And we want freedom from that stress. And we want freedom from that maybe guilt, shame, bitterness, some kind of pain we're in. Well, Jesus had an argument this day in the temple courts. This all happened in the temple courts. And this is the same place. If you go back a few verses, this is the same uh, section of Scripture where these Pharisees brought this woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery before Jesus, threw him down, and demanded that she be stoned. And Jesus wrote on the ground, and he said, uh, he just wrote on the ground, and all the accusers walked away. You know that story, some of you. And uh, those accusers walked away. Then Jesus looked at the woman, and she said, he said, where are you, thine accusers? And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So it's in that context, and in the temple courts, that Jesus has a conversation with them and initiates a conversation with them about what real freedom, what ultimate freedom, that's what I want to talk about today, ultimate freedom. You might want to call it transcendent freedom. Ultimate freedom is. Uh, and they clashed. It's interesting that, that verse 31 says they believed in him, or they believed him, yet they clashed when defining freedom. Verse, 8, 30, verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone, how can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now here's the deal. Like some of us, they define freedom socially and politically, which means self-governance and self-determination. And by the way, we believe in that, and that's consistent with Scripture. The, The church, by the way, has consistently, not not every not not always, but I would say consistently been on the side of social, political, and civil freedom. Uh, you go back to the uh, Nicolae and uh, Alina Ceausescu regime in uh, Romania, and you see the church was at the center of that revolution that set that country free from that awful tyranny. Uh, you go to Lake Valesa and the liberation of Poland. Uh, Lake Valesa is a devout, devout Roman Catholic. And his faith is at the center of his movement to freedom for that country. And of course, you go back to uh, uh, Britain and you, you, you will, will encounter William Wilberforce, and who partnered with John Newton, the writer of, of Amazing Grace, the former slave trader. And together, they worked together to, to form the first anti-slavery laws in the world. 
And of course, we have Martin Luther King in this country. Well, there's no question that the church and, 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 and biblical truth was at the center of the civil rights movement that he created. So the church has not a perfect track record in terms of, of civil liberties, and, but, it, but, but, it, but it has a pretty darn good one. We've been at the center through the ages, through the ages of social and civil freedom. So that's a part, that's, that's not wrong. And, and even, of course, we have that line in our own, uh, own uh, Declaration of Independence. The first line says this, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have, discon which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitles them. They connected our freedom back to God. And then, of course, we have the second paragraph of the Constitution which says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted, instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Our founding fathers connected social, civil, political liberty back to God in the Bible. So that's not to be taken lightly. But there's more. And I think Viktor Frankl, who uh, spent many of his years in a Nazi concentration camp and survived the Nazi concentration camp, I think he was in the arena when, uh, of this ultimate freedom that I'm talking about this morning. And this greater freedom, which is, if you think civil liberty and social liberty is, is a great thing, you haven't even begun to understand uh, or, or if you don't think this ultimate freedom that I want to talk to you about this morning is a great thing, then you haven't begun to understand it, that it is much greater. It is much greater than to have civil liberty. It's much greater than to have social and political liberty. Viktor Frankl flirted with it when he said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So I, I want to I ask... Uh, three questions today and try to answer three questions. And the first question is, what is freedom? Who gives us freedom? And how are we given freedom? Who get, what is freedom? What is ultimate transcendent freedom? Who gives us that freedom? Who has the right to give us that freedom? And how does it come to us? Well, what is freedom? Well, freedom is essentially spiritual. And ultimately useless if it doesn't reach to the level of your soul. Jay alluded to it a while ago in some comments he made about the freedom to love. The freedom from bitterness and the freedom from anger and the freedom from wrath and the freedom from prejudice. These are freedoms that extend to the level of the soul. That no matter what the government does, or no matter what governmental system you find yourself in, or if you find yourself in a Nazi concentration camp, or a, or a Soviet gulag, or living in a nice neighborhood in the greater Milford area, you can experience freedom or extreme bondage, depending on your relationship with yourself and your God. That's what I'm going to trying to talk to you about today. 
So freedom is essentially spiritual and ultimately useless if it doesn't transcend to the level of the soul. Great and competent political leaders have often been slaves to their own nature. They often struggle with sins that ruin them and ruin their legacy. We don't have to think hard to see that. Many years ago, I had this sad uh, situation, being in a situation to deal with a pastor who had been a friend of mine, who was, uh, it was discovered that he'd been inappropriate, and uh, I think you would almost call it sexual assault today, with certain young women in his church. And uh, boy, that really hit me hard. I was on a, I was on a committee that actually dealt with those kinds of situations when a pastor would fail morally, we would meet with him and we would um, try to decide what to do. And I always wanted to take a personal interest and I, there was a couple of them that I went and met with personally because I always felt like this is a personal thing. This is not just a judicial thing that you do with a committee. And it seemed so cold to me. We're just going to have a guy come in and sit before a committee. And someone needs to talk to him. Someone needs to care about him. So I remember driving to uh, Cellos near the, the uh, DF Green Airport to meet with him that day because I, 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 I cared about him so much. Because This man was truly one of the best preachers I had, ever, I had heard. He was, he was a good preacher and a good leader. And, but I, I, I felt like, oh, there must be something working in his life and maybe I can, maybe I can help him or maybe I can get, get him some help and nobody's asking the kind of questions that I think need to be asked. And, and we sat down at Chalos, we ordered our food. And I, I don't know where this came from, this, this thought came from. I, I felt like I should ask him the simple question that seems kind of dumb to me, but are you free? What I meant was, it, 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 are you really bound with some compulsion that you can't control? Because you're, you know, my thought, you're running your life. You're running your ministry. Why are you doing that? And I, I, so we'd ordered food. I, I asked, uh, called him by name, and he was a towering guy. He was like three, two feet taller than me, or maybe, maybe not that much, but a foot taller than me, I'll say that, and 100 pounds heavier. Not that he was going to hurt me or anything, we wouldn't care about that, but, but just, I mean, he was an imposing figure. He had a, a dominating everything, voice, everything. And I, I said, I asked him, call, call him by name, and this is so long ago, I don't think you would have any idea who I might be talking about. This is a long time ago. And I said, are you free? And he, without saying a word, he pushed his chair back, stood up, walked out of the restaurant. I never saw him again. Uh, boy, that must be, must be a tough question, are you free? Uh, no matter how great his church was or how great a preacher he was, he didn't have freedom at the level of a soul. Even to respond to me like that was a, a signal of bondage. That he would respond to me like that. He could not see the love in my heart for him and he could not see that my meeting with him was out of compassion. It, you know, so, so if freedom has to go to the level of soul, what is it though? Well, let's talk about a couple of things that it's not. Freedom cannot be self-rule or being my own boss. It just can't be. That's how most of us define it naturally. 
Think about this. Think about it. If you think freedom is self-rule or being your own boss, making all your own decisions, think of the best people that you know. And probably some of them right in this room. The best people you know. And think for a moment, what are their blind spots and their weaknesses? You already, know, you already thought of it, didn't you? You've already thought, oh, I know, yeah, I know. And, and maybe I'm included in that. I hope, I hope I get included in the best people you know. But you've already, you, you already thought about their weaknesses. You've already thought about their blind spots. You know, maybe they, you know, they don't discipline their children well. They don't manage their finances well. They, they're too rigid. They're, they're too domineering at times. They're too controlling or they're too opinionated. They, they don't delegate well. They struggle to forgive Maybe they're workaholics. Maybe they don't control their appetite for something like food or the list of flaws goes on. And, you know, in, in fact, those of you who have been married for a while, you know, like 20 years or something, uh, this, do not raise your hand on this or you, unless you're just really looking to have a bad day, you know. But how many of you that have been married for a while, there's something or a couple of things that you've just decided you're going to have to live with. <laughs> Keep your hand down, Jim. <laughs> you're like, I think everybody who's married for a while, you love that person, one day you just decide, I'm going to give up on that. <laughs> I'm going to quit trying to change them in that area because they're never going to see it. They're never going to get it. They're never going to see it. Well, why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because it affirms Romans 3.10, which is, more, which is more than just a piece of prose. It's an absolute truth. There is none righteous, no, not one. So why would you, who can't even see your blind spots, you can't even see something that's flawed about you, you can't even clearly get it. And how, how do you qualify to be your own boss? How do you qualify to be your own Lord? How can you be qualified to be, to be the one who... What, what earns you that right? The birthday of America is Independence Day. The birthday of a Christian is Dependence Day. Second thing about freedom that it's not, it's not always getting what you want. Christ is not categorically opposed, by the way, to you getting things you want and things you enjoy. I think if you live a healthy, normal life, you probably get some things you want every day. You probably get more often you get what you want. But it's still, that doesn't define freedom. It, how could freedom be getting what you want? Because... If, we, if you said, well, freedom is getting what I want, which you are we talking about? Which you inside of you are you talking about? The, the you that wants to be physically energetic, so you get up and go exercise, or the you that wants to sit on the couch and eat junk food and watch TV and play video games? Which you are we talking about? Which you are we talking about? The, the you who wants to be a person of integrity and keep your word and the you that wants to flirt with that person at work, that person that 
you're attracted to that makes you feel like a million bucks and your spouse doesn't always make you feel like a million bucks. Which you are you, which you is going to be in charge? Which you is going to get what they want? You know, is it the you that wants to discipline yourself and develop yourself and be good at something that will bless others and care about others? Is, is that the you that, or, or the you that wants to be lazy and not do what you would need to do to be effective and be good for others? The you that, the you that wants to be generous and open up your wallet and your checkbook to help people in need and to go over and help them with whatever tasks they need to make their life better? Or the you that just wants to take care of yourself? Which you is going to be in charge? There's more than one you in you. Who's going to decide? I know, I know you think you're, I know you think you're uh, Mother Teresa, Mary, Mother, Mary the Mother of God and Billy Graham all rolled into one. I know that you think that. But Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. But what if you replace you with the Lord? Would that be more freedom? You know, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about about if we were at, if we were in Nazi Germany, if we were in Nazi Germany, we all think we would be Schindler. <laughs> we all think we would be Corey Ten Boom, risking our, 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 our um, who, who's the pastor? Uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We always think we would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a very courageous Christian leader who, whether, and I question the morality of it, I don't, I don't know if this was right, but he actually participated in a plot to kill Hitler. And he was executed for that. No, but no matter what you think of that, it's tremendous courage. And it's a guy who left, who had come to New York and went back to Germany to help fight the fight against the tyranny of Adolf Hitler and what he was doing to the Jews. And we all think we would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? <laughs> But, but the, 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 the facts say, the numbers say, we would not. The numbers say that most of the people in this room, at, at best, you'd be part of the silent majority who looked the other way. You sure you think you're qualified to be the savior? Your own boss? That's why Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. That you're not going to be free if you just find out what pleases you. So let's go to the second question, and that is who gives freedom? John 8.32 said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I find verse 31 here extremely important because it says to the Jews who believed him. So this was the same people. The same people he said that you don't have the truth or you're not living in truth or the people who believed him. So I wonder if some of us in this room could be in that situation. We've gone a certain level with God. We have come to the place that we believe. You hear the sermons, you believe them. But Jesus was saying, we got to take this one more step to the Jews who believe. See, they believed him. Here's, here's the important thing to realize. They believed him, but their cultural and social identities 
were entrenched and they were those cultural identities that they had and their social identities were still holding sway in the major decisions of their life. And Jesus used the analogy of a son giving freedom to a slave. In those days, they understood, they knew their own culture. They knew that at times a son would be a slave. In other words, I meant to say, a slave would have so much favor with a son that they would become friends and the son would go to the father and ask for the, for the slave's liberation from being a slave, which did not mean he would leave the house, but means he was staying in the house and he would become a brother and he would become a son. And, and there was no way that that slave was belligerent if that slave would not follow the directions of the son, if that slave would not give authority to the son, there was no way that son was going to recommend to the father that, that he set the slave free to be a son. Because when he, set the, when he set the slave to be free to be a son, not only did that mean that that, 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 that person, that person who was a slave would have the same rights as the son, that he would, he would sit at the table with the family, and he would be a part of the family's celebration. Not only that, but it meant that he would also share in the inheritance. It meant that, it, that when the father passed away and the inheritance got divided, that slave would receive a portion of it. So Jesus was saying to them, you're going to be really free in every single way if you will accept me. And you will not only accept me and believe me, but you will, you will begin to belong to me. You will begin to belong to me and then you will be free. And he even used the word free indeed, free without question, free eternally. Indeed, carry the idea of eternal freedom. So, so let me give you just an edited version of something Tim Keller said on the subject. He said, in essence, Jesus was saying, if you live for anything but me, that becomes your master and it will tyrannize you. Someone said, self-mastery is the suicide of the will. Whatever you live for and you give yourself over to, that becomes your Lord. No one really controls themselves. Rocky Balboa said, if I can go 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. What do you have to do to believe that you're not a bum? He says, Nancy in the screenplay Oliver lives with an abusive Bill Sykes. When asked why, she said, because he needs me. She lived for tyrannical Bill Sykes and he eventually kills her in the same way if you live for anything else, if you live for your career, it will control you and it may kill you. It's no small thing for a church or a pastor to get up and say, live for Jesus. I said, it's no small thing. It's no small thing for us to get up and say, would you like to live for Jesus? Would you like to live for Jesus? Would you like to live for Jesus? Would you, would you like to stop living for all those other things? It doesn't mean you don't engage with those other things. It doesn't mean you're not successful at those other things. In fact, you might become more successful if you're not enslaved to them. 
but it means your allegiance and your identity is in Jesus Christ. It's no small thing. Keller also said, and this is so profound, he said, anyone who understands Christianity doesn't do so, doesn't give themselves over, he means, to Christ because it's oppressive or even dull and boring, but more likely because it's too good to be true or because the step of faith is too scary. I think that is a profound idea that Tim is saying there. That, if, that, that, that those of you in this room and outside of this room, if you really understand what it means to live for Jesus, and you really understand Christianity, I'm talking you to understand it properly, and you turn away from it, it won't be because you think it's bad. It won't be because that looks like oppression. It won't be because that looks boring or that looks stupid. It'll be because you think that's too good to be true, that God would love me like that. To, to bless me and guide my life and keep me free from addictions and free from compulsions. That's just too good to be true, that I could serve someone who keep me free from the things that destroy me and make my life hell on earth. And, 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 and to, to borrow the phrase that a guy named Cy Homer said, who used to be the president of Southwestern Bible College in Florida, who one day he was, somebody put a piece of delicious strawberry shortcake in front of him and Cy Homer, who had a great sense of humor, he looked up and said, all of this in heaven too. <laughs> and it sounds too good to be true that the best life you could possibly imagine is a life lived for Jesus. The best life you could possibly imagine, the best way to go that you could possibly imagine, the most healthy, the most peaceful, the most, the most loving, the most joyful, the most blissful, the most, most peaceful life, the freest life you could ever live is to live for Jesus and to think at the end of the journey you are free indeed because heaven waits for you at the end. <laughs> Hallelujah. How does freedom come to us? We agree with the culture. This is it's nice to have points of agreement with the culture. We agree with the culture as to what freedom feels like, but we don't agree on how we get it. I don't agree with some who call themselves Christians is how you get it, because modern people think of receiving Jesus as merely a transaction, signing a contract or going to a meeting. In other words, you agree that Jesus is God's one and only son, and you tell God that, and if you think, you know, I, I'm not discounting that, by the way, that, that day when you said Jesus is the son of God, and we baptize you, and, and, and that wonderful stuff, there's nothing as great as that, as far as uh, decisions you can make. Well, maybe there's one thing that's as great as that, and that's this next decision I'm talking about. It, if we only do that, if we only believe, see these people that listen to Jesus, they believed, okay? Uh, if you only do that though, and, 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 and you don't follow through and, and begin to do what Jesus said and begin to, to follow his word and begin to give him authority in your life, it, it'd be kind of like, it'd be kind of like me meeting with a, 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 you know, a while back with my oncologist and, uh, you know, they've diagnosed me. I've I believe now that I've got this uh, disease that if I don't do something about it, it will eventually kill me. And I'm not ready. I, I'm not afraid to die, but I, I, I'd like to die well uh, uh, <laughs> instead of badly. So 
So I go to this doctor, and I, and I, I think he's a great doctor, you know, and, and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do, Phil. Uh, you're going to come back here, and we're going to give you an injection of this, and, and then, then six weeks later, you're going to come back, and uh, you're going to meet, and we're going to map out your body, and we're going to start radiation. You're going to come every day for 38 days for radiation, and you're, this is how you're going to prepare for radiation, and this is what you're going to have to do, and he gives me this list, you know. And I say, oh, no, I'm not going to do any of that, okay? I, I, I'm not going to do that. But how about if I just say, you're the greatest doctor in the world? Would that work the same? I don't do all of that. I don't do all of that getting the injection and coming every day for 38 days. And I don't do all the prep that you're talking about. And how about if I don't do all that? Because that sounds hard. And I just declare, you're the greatest. And... Wouldn't that just release your healing power? He would say, move along briskly, please. Because I have to enter into a covenant with him. I have to enter into a covenant with him. And that covenant is, I believe you're really good and you're really competent. That's what I have to believe. But then he says, and he doesn't say this explicitly, but implicitly, Dr. Phillips said, prove it. You think I'm good? You think I know what I'm talking about? Prove it by doing what I tell you to do. So I did. I did everything he told me to do. I, I, I got examined the other day, and here's what I was told. I was told the lack of damage to your body from the radiation. Here's the exact word the medical professional used. The lack of damage to your body from the radiation is miraculous. Well, I'll, I'll give glory to God, absolutely, for that. I'll give glory to God for that. But I, I, I also submitted myself to someone I believe knew what they were talking about. Now, why wouldn't I do that for Jesus? Why would, I, why would I ever separate belief from belonging? Why would I ever separate faith from obedience? What happened in Christianity that we decided there was this separation? That we could have, a, oh, we're going to have two groups here. We're going to have the believers and the obeyers. Obeyers are going to sit over here. Believers sit over here. We're all going to do fine. Somebody's going to do finer than the other. One group's going to have more joy. One group's going to have more freedom than the other. Which groups are going to be just the believers or the believer obeyers? What do you think? To the Jews who had believed in him, who had believed him, and that's, that one little word is a very significant word, believe in, because to believe in is to, is to rely on. You can believe but not believe in. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. If you hold to my teachings, if you, everybody say it together. If you hold to my teaching. See, we think freedom is doing what we desire, but freedom is doing what we are designed to do. So we think freedom is doing what we desire to do. I would say the vast majority of people in the world think that freedom is doing what we desire to do. But freedom is doing what you're designed to do. 
Matthew 7, 29, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I believe there's more to entering the kingdom of heaven than going away to heaven when we die. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So entering the kingdom of heaven means bringing your present life under the realm in which Christ reigns. Entering the kingdom of heaven is not, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. No, enter, yes, I, I agree, it's part of it. But, but what's immediate for you is you enter the kingdom of heaven now. If you, the, the minute that you do something, let's say that you need to forgive somebody and you don't want to forgive them, but you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and Jesus says, forgive them. And you say, okay, I'm not the boss. You're the boss. I'm going to forgive them. Well, the minute you do that, your emotional life enters the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, is righteousness, peace, and joy. And the minute you obey Christ, you enter his kingdom and you become, your life enters the realm in which he rules. And nobody, not even a Nazi prison guard, can rob you of having peace when you enter the realm in which he rules. According to Jesus, the shift that brings you from tyranny to liberty is the decision to hold to my teachings. See, the processes of God aren't the same as the promises of God. Don't bail out on the processes of God and you'll be around for the promises. To grasp the freedom of Christ, and I want to close with this. We need to understand how the human race got into prison in the first place. Okay? Just give me a couple minutes. I, wanna, I, I, need to, I need to finish this. How do we get in trouble in the first place? How do we get bound? How did the human race get so bound in the first place? And I think it's irrefutable that the human race is not able to move itself to the right conclusions. I think that's irrefutable. I think that's self-evident. But how do we get here? Well, it's, it's very, very, uh, very simple how we got here. Very simple. Adam and Eve were created to live w with God's knowledge and God's wisdom. They weren't created to have their own wisdom and own knowledge. They were created to operate on the wisdom and knowledge of God. They just got to have fun. They just got to enjoy all of God's creation. They just got to enjoy living in this perfect garden with a perfect everything. And that's all they had to worry about. But the serpent said, you know, how would you like to have the knowledge of good and evil so you can have autonomy and you can have freedom? And they bought into it. And, and the, the, the bait of the serpent was being as God, knowing good and evil, right? So they bit the bait and they did this. They went from this. They went from, well, God said. You know, before that, if they had an argument about anything, and I don't guess they ever argued since they were sinless, but if they had an argument about anything, the, the argument always ended, well, God said. That's what we're going to do, because look at this perfect world he's created, so we're going to... Uh, imagine that. Imagine that every conversation that you and I had about any controversial issue, we would go get our Bibles, and we would say, God said... And I, I remember opening my brother's Bible one day and in the flyleaf was written, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But what if that's what ended every conversation and every controversy we have? What does God say? Well, that's how it was. 
That's how it was before the bait of, the bait of the snake got brought into this situation. That's how it was. Adam and Eve had any conversation. What should we do about that? Or, or what should we do about those animals over there that are making a lot of noise? Or what should we do about this? Or, or what should we do about housing? Uh, well, what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? And, and you know, the, the, the devil came along and said, that's pretty boring, isn't it? What does God say? What does God say? And they moved from what, from, they moved from God said to I think. I feel, I will. I think, I feel, I will. So now instead of God said, it's I think. And of course, Eve said, well, I think something else. And, and Adam, I feel, well, no, I, I feel differently. Every problem in the human race goes back to that decision to move from God said to I think, I will, I feel. Every problem that we have in the human race. So Jesus comes along and what is Jesus. He's called the Word. Ooh. He's called, the Greek word is logo. He's the logos of God. He comes back and he's restoring us back to a life of God says and delivering us from I think, I will, I feel. And he said, that's where freedom is. Bondage is over here and I think, I feel, I will because you get all confused and you come back to God said. Now you still think and feel and will. It's okay. You still have that. That's not going to go away. Don't worry. That'll be well intact. Believe me. <laughs> you're still going to think and feel and will. Uh, you'll have to fight that rest of your life because Adam and Eve, that's the gift from Adam and Eve to you. Is that the rest of your life, you're going to fight, I think I will, I feel. And God says, and Jesus comes along and says, I'll give you freedom and let's return to hold to my teachings. Hold to my teachings. Oh, what a wonderful life God has for us. Uh, Alana Celestino, one of our teenagers, sent me this verse this week and I'm going to close with it. And I love it when, when I see our teenagers in the Word of God. It's just so, and that's fantastic. Good job, youth, youth staff. And BCA staff and everybody else. And parents. Good job, parents. Alana sent me this first, and it perfectly concludes the sermon. It's the Message Bible, and we're going to put it up on the screen for you. My choice is you, God first and only. And now I find I'm your choice. Now I find I'm, I'm your choice, your choice. You set me up with a house and a yard, and then you made me your heir. The wise counsel God gives when I'm awake is confirmed by my sleeping heart. Day and night, I'll stick with God. I got a good thing going, and I'm not letting it go. I'm happy from the inside out and from the outside in. I'm firmly formed. You cancel my ticket to hell? That's not my destination. Now you got my feet on the, right, on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your faith ever since you took my hand. I'm on the right way now. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Thank you, Alana. Now we're going we're gonna to close. And uh, because of the picnic, which we're excited, I hope, we hope you'll stay with us and I uh, hope you'll get out and just participate and even, even there's all kinds of games outside and let's really be together today and let's care about each other and enjoy food and fellowship. Um, maybe there's issues related to this message that your heart's just working through right now. I think for most of us, we realize that we go our own way. I do. I go my own way and then I realize, oh, I've wandered astray. I got to get back. I got to get, I got to get, I got to pull back from, I think, I feel, I will. 
to God's head. And oh, what peace brings my heart when I do that. And maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never come to that peace. You're not a Jesus basher or anything. You believe, I guess we could say, you believe Jesus is the Son of God and that seems logical. But you've never applied it to your life. You've never made him your manager. You never made him your Lord, as the scripture uses that term. But today you'd like to do that. You don't have to even come from front to do that. You can do it right in your seat. And it'd be good if you let somebody know that you prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to pray it right now. Father, in Jesus' name, let us become people who are free. Let those of us who've, been, uh, who've never crossed that line of faith, that we are children of God first before we're children of Milford or we're children of America or we're children of our biological fathers but that we are children of the Most High God. Help that person, help everybody here to cross that line and say, Jesus is Lord. And I pray for those of us who've been around for a while. We've been in the way for a long time. Help us to get out of the way and let us realize the areas where we're imposing our will over your will and we're not experiencing the fruit of joy, the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the fruit of healthiness that we could have if we would just let go of our pride and our ego and say, God, not my will, but thine be done. I pray this will happen in all of our hearts. Bless our fellowship today. Bless the food that's been prepared and being prepared, going to be prepared. In Jesus' holy name, amen.